What's up, humans? This is the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rehubchek. Big thank you for checking out the show. That was Anthony Garcia. Anthony is the author of Catapulting Commissions, host of the Catapulting Commissions podcast, and card-carrying member of the SalesCast community. And today, we get into taking control of how you sell. I started this podcast to ask the tough questions around how revenue is created, the questions no one else was asking, and to better understand the uncomfortable conversations that followed. Every Tuesday and Thursday, I'll bring you a revenue human shaking up the business of sales, regardless of title. If you like what you hear, don't forget to subscribe to the show and and let me know how I'm doing by way of a review. Um, Anyway... Ah, feedback is my love language, friends, and I would greatly appreciate it. And with that, enjoy. Anthony Garcia, you're like my favorite person right now. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline. I have just spent the past hour digging into all your fabulousness, and I am so looking forward to this conversation and, and sharing your wisdom with uh, with our listeners. So thank you, thank you, thank you, new friend. Amy, thanks for having me on the show. I'm super excited to get connected with your audience and, and share some valuable stuff today. Amazing. Okay, so let's get the business out of the way, if you don't mind. Deal. Theme of the show, uncomfortable conversations in sales. Okay, all right. The target audience is the experienced tech seller or the experienced okay. seller. Um, there is only one rule around here, and that is that there are no damn rules. This is a judgment-free zone, a mistake-friendly zone, a tangent-friendly zone, and we keep it very real. So I generally reserve the last, let's say, 10 minutes or so for, I've got these two um, questions that I ask everyone, and sometimes I share them in advance, Anthony, and sometimes, sometimes I do not. But uh, something tells me that you can handle it, sir. So I'm gonna I'm gonna keep keep those questions to myself. I'm good with good with live TV. We're good. We can make it work. All right, this is awesome. Okay, so any questions for me? Oh, and then general. Or so I made a list of things that we could possibly talk about. It's not a long list, but I will read that back to you and toss it back to you about where you'd like us to begin. Okay. I mean, I think, you know, the biggest thing, right, is is let's dive into what's relevant with what's going on with with your 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 listeners. I mean, there's so many areas we can go in this thing. I mean, I think sales and hitting sales goals and achieving sales revenue in a post quote unquote COVID world is gonna be a challenge. Um, I think sales professionals right now are tasked. Um, you know, we're essentially with regardless of industry, to sell more, getting paid less, right? So you look at people who've been in sales for a long time, like I have to sell twice the amount of revenue I did in the past to make the same amount of money. Um, so you combine that, right? With sales professionals have a turnover rate of 34% naturally every year with the quote unquote great resignation that's taking place in the labor force today of, of people leaving their jobs. So I'm sure there's sales professionals looking in question, am I in the right company? Am I doing the right thing? Is this the right place for me to fit? And yeah, I mean, we can dive into that. It's it's something I'm passionate about. We can we can go, we can run, and we talk some of the sales strategies that are relevant with this new wave of selling, right? Some of the, some of the things that we did to to cut our teeth and, and get relevant and get a skill set of like knocking on doors. And I mean, it's just it's frowned upon now. Like you're it's the equivalent to cold calling. Like you know, it's just like ah, who the hell are you, right? So it's just a different way of doing business now. Ah, I love it. Okay. So listeners, this is Anthony's and, and my, this is our first conversation. And I, 
Anthony, just so you know, I, I have resisted that initially. And I know, by the way, congratulations on a hundred episodes on the show. I thank you. enjoyed um, the, the two conversations that I listened to tremendously listeners. The show is called catapulting commissions. And there's a book also um, with that same title, which I'm looking at now. And uh, I, you know, I was very impressed. I actually had to reach for a notebook and, and pen to write down some of the pearls that were dropped in, in the episodes that I caught. So, um, okay. So anyway, to your point, yeah, let's talk about right now. Let's talk about what's changed. And I love that you brought the, um, like the great resignation into this because I too have been thinking deeply on these things and specifically, you know, what, what has changed in how buyers want to buy and the the importance of that buyer's experience. And so I, I think when we set this up, I had mentioned that I had, you know, just coming off of a project where I had researched, I I, I think I've read like 30 of these like, you know, buyer trend reports. And I don't want to say that what I found in there was new per se, right? Those more right. humans on the buying team, it's longer, it's more complex and all that stuff. But what what was different or what was really noticeable to me was how stark the buyer sentiment had become, right? Just almost like putting their proverbial foots down and the equivalent of that buyers seem to be placing on the buyer experience, right on par with the actual product itself and the features itself. And I mean, going as far to say in some of these reports, it was like most buyers, like something like 99% felt reported feeling like a number. And I, I mean... So what, like from your perspective, what have you seen and what have you read and what have you experienced about like the shifts in those buyer sentiments and, you know, the importance to drop that old, always be closing mantra, which I, I know that you wrote about recently, but what have you seen? Let's start with that. Yeah, hundred percent. So the the consumer we're working with today is smarter than they've ever been. Like 100%. They're, they're, think about it. We are so savvy. You and I, even though we're sellers, we're also consumers. The moment I get some sort of outbound message to me, either a phone call, email, a DM, how some people still send mailers, if it comes to me and gets to my attention where you're trying to sell me something, I immediately take what you're sending me and I Google it. Like I 100% just, I go right online. I get all the research that I want from that point forward. Then I make a decision. Is this something that I want to invest my time in? As a seller, we have to acknowledge that our digital presence is if equally, if not more important than the actual outbounding. Because the moment you speak to somebody and you give them that leverage, if they can get the, they get the opportunity, not even give them the leverage, they're going to they're going to Google you. They're going to see what your digital footprint looks like online. That has to be touched up. Your message has to match. Knowing that your consumer is smarter than ever, now it means. I have to provide more value than ever because if I'm going to outbound and reach to my consumer with just what the sales brochure says, or just the sales slicks, or just the the basics uh, of what you can find online, you're not really you're like there's there's zero value. And, and you look at consumers today; consumers feel passionate when they can see and hear the person there's that's selling them something. That doesn't mean they have to talk to them like how you and I are speaking digitally. But there's power in video marketing. There's power in people hearing from you, hearing your voice before they ever talk to you. There's power in personal branding in sales. So all of these things are relevant today. And that mantra of always be closing, 
you know, overly persistent, press hard, do, do this. I hear it all the time and I get it right. I, I live, I've lived my entire life by having a quota. I live my entire life on having to manage teams with quotas. I've lived, I understand that, but just because that's the pressure I receive doesn't mean it's the pressure I have to give to my consumers. So you take the always be closing mentality. And, and I didn't say it on my blogs. I try to keep it you know, pretty clean, but it's, it's BS. If you are a true sales professional, the always be closing should really be always be prospecting. Like you should always know where I'm going to be spending my time at. You know, if I'm always prospecting and I'm, and I'm always finding areas to spend time in and elaborate and dive deep into and spend time, then I know where to go and give value to. Like a close really shouldn't be what it was 10 years ago. Like the close honestly should be, you've provided so much value to the prospect you're working with, to your consumer. They actually feel bad. For not uh, doing business not moving with you. forward. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So I want to go back to something that you said. I agree with that wholeheartedly, actually. But I I think when I when I look at the the gap, right, between what buyers want and what they report receiving from the mm-hmm. majority of salespeople, I, you know, then I marry that with the idea that, you know, most sellers and and please correct me if if mm-hmm. you have different experiences but i truly believe that most sellers want to do right by their buyers they want to deliver value and they want to help um you know their their buying teams make informed business decisions however obviously the gap persists and so the question that i've been asking myself lately is you know where is the breakdown what is what is happening there and i think that that there's a a disconnect on understanding what value is and the importance of being agile, I guess you could Mm -hmm. say, and customizing that the, I guess the delivery of said value add actions from motion to motion. And I I mean, I don't know if you would agree with that, but what do what do you think? Yeah, I, I I do agree with you. I think 100% the, the sales industry now today, I mean, there's more positive sales professionals than negative. There's more people that want to give value that want to have a consultative approach where I think the breakdown happens and the disconnect and you and you, you kind of alluded to it. Right? People have a disconnection of what exactly value is. The value comes in solving a problem. That's it. What value is is going to change at different stages in your sales process. If I am in the entry portion of my sales process, the value is, does my prospect acknowledge they have a problem? Can they quantify that problem? And do they understand how that problem's impacting them, their life, their business, et cetera? The value comes, right? So first part of that value is, is do they do, have a, have them acknowledge they have a problem? Have they acknowledged how expensive this problem is? And do they know there's solutions out there? Whether it's my solution or another solution, at, the, at its purest form, my solution to your problem. So when we want to deliver that value, sometimes sales professionals will overskip that, that tough questions of really breaking down and identifying what is the problem that we're solving today. Because at the end of the day, right, a sales process really is, you have a problem, I have a product or service that solves your problem. Let's meet in the middle. The more expensive the problem, the more expensive the product. If the problem is not as expensive as the product, you're not going to buy because it it's too expensive. If the problem is super expensive and the service I'm offering is lower than it, you're going to buy because there's value there. So I, I look at it from the aspect of 
sales professionals will oftentimes skip some of those difficult conversations, right? Tell me, how is this impacting your business? You're like, walk me through the process you had last time. Walk me through your current provider. Walk me through what you're using right now, right? And if you if you go B to B, I I've I've done B to B and I've done B to C. I love B to C because it's fun and you're you know you're working directly with the end user. B to B, a little bit more complex of a sales process, but in B to B, right? Typically, if I can relate that problem to time, money, productivity, and I can get my prospect to acknowledge it. They're on my team. We have a problem. We have to solve it. And as you go through the sales process, right, there are more human buyers. There are more human decision makers in the process of trying to sell business to business and enterprise sales. Your job as a sales professional is to take whatever meeting, however many processes or steps are in your sales process is to say, okay, we're going to identify a problem. We're going to solve a problem. If you're not the person that's going to sign with the dotted line at the end, then my job now is to get you to endorse the hell out of me to the next person in this decision-making tree by acknowledging a problem and solving a problem and knowing there's a solution out there. So, okay. Like, don't get me wrong. I've got, I got a green belt in process design and which it's interesting because the majority of my certification, the majority of my training, like we, when, I mean, it's really learning how to uncover the root cause problem because more often than not, right. People are chasing after symptoms. That's it. And so I, I, and my favorite book from um, HBR last year is a book called What's Your Harvard Business Review called What's mm-hmm. Your Problem, right? So helping people to understand what their real problem is um, and like, you know, the issues that are being created from that, like totally get that, totally endorse that. However, I don't know if it touches on where the gap is like, and so here's, here's what I mean by that. Like, so most buyers don't think about our sales process, right? They're mm-hmm. thinking about their buying process. And obviously the majority of the buyer's journey or buyer mapping, right. Falls on marketing. But even when an organization has taken the time to do those steps, it's still framed from the perspective of the, the company, right? So awareness phase, right. Is a big, mm-hmm. Oh, this is step one. And when you press and, or ask about that, well, what awareness of what generally the answer you get back is, well, awareness of us, right. As a mm-hmm. solution. And <laughs> that's not accurate. And so I'm always a little bit hesitant to rely too heavily on like the sales process frame, because really like we should all be pivoting to the buyer's experience and the buyer's journey from which I guess what I'm trying to say is that the buyers only involve the sellers, right? Or really we're only involved about 17% of the time, 17%. And when you marry that with this idea that like, you know, we, we are experiencing the most sophisticated and educated buyers that, you know, any seller has ever had to encounter, right? And we can point at why that is. And obviously the implications of misinformation are always also factors. However, I guess what I'm trying to say is that the, I, I think we're overestimating the amount of help that the buyers need honing in on their actual problem or the amount of work that the buying team has gone through to get to that point where they almost are looking to have their conclusions confirmed. Um, said differently, they're looking to have their, they're, they're looking for certainty 
right? And one of the things that COVID has also done, obviously, there's massive turmoil in the political, in the economic, in the social, right? Obviously, the great resignation speaks to, you know, a, a piece of that. And so that that level of uncertainty kind of carries over into the, the team buying process. And yeah, I, I don't know. And I could be wrong on this. Like part of me wants to like hop back in the field as an IC just to like confirm these assumptions that I'm making here. But I think that we're not giving the buyers enough credit about like the work that they have themselves done to hone in on what their problem is and are essentially looking to have those those conclusions confirmed, I guess you could say. But what what do you think? Yeah, I, I agree, right? Your buying team, right? Your 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 an analyst team, the team that puts out an RFP, or the team that is in this process, the hundred percent. Where you separate your sellers and buyers, and, and I do agree. I think more and more times we need to take a look at our business process from the buyer's journey. Where that process separates for a sales professional to 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 execute, right? So the 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 challenge I have back is well if the buyer's journey is so well educated, then what is the person what is the what is the purpose of having sales reps? If the buyers are so well educated, they can make a lot of these decisions. They can do research online. They can do a, a quick demo. They can have an AE come visit them and be hey here's here's what we have to offer and 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 all our bells and whistles. But they want that validation. They want to ensure that what they're doing is 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 accurate. Right, they're after all. They're the buyer, the service provider, the solution provider is the expert in its space. And as you say this, it really it, it makes me think. There's there's a study out of Oxford University, and I'm not sure if you if you read it, it's the future of employment, and it's talking about how everything is going to be automated. Right, if you look at what happens in the next twenty to forty years, a lot of industries will be automated. And 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 you know, fun fact. I mean, I, I made this joke in a in a sales group with a bunch of car sales professionals that hey, car sales is going to be completely automated. I'm pretty sure they banned me and kicked me out of the group. But you, you look at Carvana, you look at certain things, and I know this. I'm going through a car. I'm buying a car in my personal life right now. I have yet to speak to a salesperson. It's been all automated. It's been awesome. But in this study, it talked about the ability for sales professionals. They have a sincere, a high likelihood that they are going to be an automated profession in the next 20 to 40 years. What you and I understand is the sales process will be automated. Sales managers. The likelihood of them, of them being automated is slim because if I take that analogy, and this is me trying to tie two ducks together, if I take that analogy, a sales manager is influential. It's impactful. It's inspiring. It draws confidence in the people they impact. So the sales reps that will not be automated are the ones that are going to be able to meet with an educated team of buyers and help that buying team establish a higher level of confidence that the solution I represent is the right solution. Because if you really look at it and you say, okay, hey, I'm going to bring my newest, let's just say this, right? You know, we if you look in, in software sales and uh, salesforce.com, one of the biggest, most widely respected CRM companies out there. Let's just say in theory, Apple or Amazon wants to create a CRM system. And it's like, hey, we're going to throw millions and billions of dollars in resource. At the end of the day, let's be honest, you will have two good products. I mean, you just go off the credibility of the success of Apple. You go off the success of Amazon. Like, hey, you don't really release things that are crappy. You have a good product. 
Salesforce, you're kind of like the gold area in this. You have a good product. So how do we influence the buyers to say, hey, pick me over the other one? Is it all price driven? Is it all is it all uh, is it likability factor driven? And, and I would I would say no to both of those. It's can I have my buyers have enough confidence? Can I influence them enough to feel confident that I'm providing that right solution? So I'll take that up. Analogy, and I think about this study from the Oxford University that said all these roles will be automated. And when I read this a couple of years ago, I was like, holy crap, I really need to impact my ability to influence decisions and not just be a sales professional, which has either, depending on which side of the spectrum you fall on, has made you a fan of me. And I've also gotten hate mail because I'm like, oh, I can't believe you're saying this. Like, it's, it's the truth. Like, sales professionals, we, our job will 100% be different in 20 years from now. So in this analogy of you're using going on the buyer's journey, if I'm not ready to pivot and say, okay, I'm going to put myself in this person's shoes and make you feel comfortable with the decision you're making, I don't know if I'm going to get that sale. Kind, kind of catch my drift on that? Yeah, no. And I agree with you. But I guess, so yes, I agree with all those things and well said. How can we help sellers to hone in on the high value actions mm-hmm. to help their buyers feel more confident in their buying decision and also provide the maximum impact of their time investment into us. And so it's like being able to separate, okay, here are the high value things that buyers need and want that I am not doing currently versus here are the low value things that maybe that I've been taught to do, right? And always be closing frame, right? Persuasion versus to your point, influence. So like what what are some of the action steps that sellers can take to to again to hone in on what has value to the buyers in like each individual touch point versus again just you know resting on their laurels or waiting for you know something to change back to the way that it was what do you think Yeah, yeah I think I think 100% right you 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 frame it as giving value to 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 the buyers. I look at it from this aspect of saying, okay, here's an action step that your listeners can implement right away. Every person in the buying process doesn't have the same responsibility. Every person in the buying process is going to be impacted at a different level by saying yes or no to your product or service. The the expert quote unquote sellers are going to understand that and say, okay, I'm going to take the time to identify what is important to each person in this decision-making tree. So if I have a team of buyers, right? Let's say you know, I have a team of four people or five people that are on this team that are, that are outsourcing, doing the research, and, and are going to be the ones that are making the decision uh, on this project. Is what I'm offering of equal importance to all five people? Probably not. So I have to identify, and, and this, is, this is one of the things that, that we have taught um, and, and I have, I have coached medical sales professionals for years. And I, and I use this analogy when they work in um, complex sales systems and, and you, you have four or five different uh, people making medical decisions for the supplies that's going to be in a hospital. Who's your champion? In that group of five, who is the person that when the door is closed and you're not there is going to say, hey, I'm going to use Anthony's stuff. Your job is to be a detective. Every interaction is to identify who that person is. And once you identify who your champion is, now you identify your co-champion. And these are the people that you're going to say, okay, I need to ensure 
that they are not left with any questions or any doubt that I'm the perfect solution for the problem you have. So I think the actionable step here is to say, okay, let's identify the champion that's going to that's gonna champion my product when I'm not around. And let me, let, me, let me identify what is important to them. How is this impacting to them? And when you take this approach that you're going to find out what's of importance to each person in a multi-touch sales process where you're having different conversations and you take the extras to learn, you'd be surprised at the things you've learned. One person is on the decision tree sometimes because they're, they're looking for efficiency and productivity. One person is probably in the thing because they're looking to save budget. They may not speak the same language because the guy that's trying to save budget, he might get a bonus if he hits his budget bonus for the end of the year. And you're coming in with a high price product. You have to acknowledge, okay, this guy's not going to be my fan. You might have a person that's from supply chain in this thing that's like, I'm looking for maximum efficiency. And I, I don't care about the budgetary guys. I want things to run in a streamlined process. So you have to identify who is what, what role is each person playing uh, in that buying team, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And like, have you ever done any work with sellers to help them either develop the skills or the awareness or anything in between around building the consensus within that, that buying team? So I, I have not, let me I'll rephrase that. I have not taught and trained building the consensus within a buying team. I, I have executed building a consensus in a buying team. Yeah. So what I'll, sh- what I'll share here is my personal sales experience. It's not something that I've, that I've taught or, or trained. Um, but in my approach in building a consensus for a buying team, it really goes and says, I don't want to say I do a takeaway close, but I acknowledge that there's, a, I tell every person I'm working with and I say, look, there's a likelihood today if I'm working with a group, I just say, hey, as we're talking today, as we're presenting, you know, I always tell my buyers, and, and I do this to this day currently. If I had a sales presentation day and there's four people on a Zoom call, I say, look, guys, with all honesty, at the end of the day, I'm sure at this point in the in the uh, in the interviewing process, right? You're interviewing multiple vendors. We're all equally capable of solving your problems. I'm going to encourage you to make a go no go list, right? So, what's going to go? What do you want? What's going to be a no-go for what you want? If I say something that's a no-go, just let me know and just write it down. If I say something that's a go, write it down. But I ask you guys to do it independently. And I make the joke in the analogy, much like boxing referees watch a boxing match. There's three people making judges. They don't really communicate to each other. They're making their own scores. Go, no-go. They're doing a tally. I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. At the end of the day, if I give you more goes and no-goes, I ask that we have another conversation. If I give you more no-goes than go, all I really want to know is what am I doing wrong? And, and in doing this, I tell them, you may say, yes, I'm your provider. I'm your vendor. And at the end, you may say, no, I'm not. But here's the thing that's going to work out when I leave this room or I leave this Zoom presentation. The four or five of you are going to get together and realize, hey, this is what's important to us. And this isn't what is important to us. And I even make a joke. I said, you see, I just gave you a $500 hour consulting lesson without charging you. And if you buy my stuff, I'll be super happy. But if not, reality, you have to find out what's important to the group. And that has been, and then that is zero formalized training. That is just 100% when I go in, in a group and I say, okay, you know, and, and, and fun fact, I mean, I, I, I have a meeting for a, for a big group in two days from now. And I'm like, all right, guys, you got 35 minutes. There's six of you on Zoom. Let me see what I can do. And it's the same thing. So. Excellent. I love that. I love that. I, um, uh, it's so funny. You're right. It's I, I too was not taught to, you know, how to build consensus like that. But it seems like for those of us that have thrived in this profession, that that's one of the key things that you have to figure out, you have to learn how to do is 
not just um, align those stakeholders, but help them to maintain that alignment over a period of time too, which is you know, neither here nor there. Okay. So I, I want to pivot us here as like the last talk track between the connection between um, the great resignation mm-hmm. and the way that employees feel treated and how, or sellers feel treated, I guess you could say, and then how we turn around and, and treat the buyers. And I, I, I think that there's some risk in, I don't want to say like the grass is always greener, Right. Cause right. It, it's just a, it's a hard thing, but how, like what, how have you been approaching this, this topic right now? And how does that relate to mindset? <laughs> so a lot of the work, what I do, fun fact, a lot of the work that I do is with sales leaders, you know, vice presidents of sales, uh, regional sales director, CEOs, entrepreneurs that have sales teams. So a lot of the work I do is, is how do you avoid the great resignation. A lot of the feedback I get through social media, through DMs is the opposite side. It's the sales professionals like, oh, that resonates with me. I completely understand that. I wish that was happening for my sales manager. So so I hear it on both ends. And, and one of the things that I want to address you know, is the impact it has on the buyer. So let's let's break down the resignation in three, three capacities. The buyer, the employee, the sales leader, the buyer. If you are a sales professional, and I'm going to say something maybe unpopular, and you are not completely committed to your craft. You're not happy with where you're at. Like, but at the end of the day, it comes across to the buyer. Like, there's just no way, shape, form about it. If you go to the purest, basic, most simplest explanation of sales, I heard this nearly 20 years ago, and it sticks with me to this day. And it, it is not groundbreaking. Everyone has said it before, but sales is a transfer of enthusiasm from one person to the next. If I come to my buyer with fake, can I cuss on this sometimes? I don't oh, know. Yeah. If I'm like, yeah, okay. If, if, <laughs> if I come to my buyer with fake ass enthusiasm, they're going to see right through it. Like they're going to be like, you're full of crap. I'm not spending any time with you. I can tell. It's the equivalent to coming to a buyer when you're desperate because you haven't made a sale and you're breathing on commission breath. If you're not content or happy with the environment you're working in and you're trying to sell a product for it, it will show. You are going to ruin the experience for your buyer. Here's why you as a sales professional should care. In your industry, your respective industry, whatever the industry you are selling in, the industry is smaller than you think. Like I just, I just want to point blank and say it. The industry is smaller than you think. Your reputation will follow you. So I look at people that have this horrible experience with one company or 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 one business. Try to sell. They're not really. They're not really caring. They're not giving their best result. They're not giving their best performance. So when you and you try to go to a different company, your prospects, your customers, the industry still knows, and they're like, oh, you you were a crappy sales professional there. You're you're still crappy now. And here's how here's how it comes across to the buyer. You don't do your job right. Your follow-up is horrible. The the uh, empathy you display for the sales journey and the buying decision is miserable because you are like, I need to make money right away. I'm, I'm feeling the pressure. I hate this job. I just want to get my next last commission check, et cetera. Your buyer gives two craps about that. So the great resignation is definitely impacting. And the 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 buyers are getting less well-trained sales professionals. Like you, They're not able to answer and articulate the bells and whistles on your product and service to the buyers. For the sellers... In this great resignation that's taking place, you have to ask yourself, who is in control of your destiny? Who's in control of your outcome? Who is in control of the retail space that exists between your two ears? And when you realize that I am the only person in control, there's no one else that has control and authority over what takes place in my mind. When I 
take that approach, and I take that approach hardcore. This whole concept of the great resignation is impacting. You know what? It's there. And I tell, and I've said this for years before the great resignation. You don't like your job? Then fucking quit. Like just point blank. I'm not, I'm not Mr. Empathy when it comes like, oh, I really hate my job. My sales manager's this. Look, at the end of the day, you're never going to be around 100% of the, of the situation you want to be. There's always going to be some form of frame of adversity that comes into your life. So to, to navigate this quote-unquote great resignation, which really isn't, you know, I don't want to say it's impacting the, the employees as much as it is the employers, but for employees right now, you have leverage, you have power, like 100%. If things aren't working in your favor, right now, right now is the time to say it. Hey, but at the same time, you know, I would tell employees, don't bring a problem without bringing a solution. Don't bring a problem without bringing a real solution, right? Problem, I want more compensation. Solution, sell more. All right, well, I, I get, I understand that. Give me a detailed plan. So here it is, it is for, for sellers. You know, you talk about the mind frame of, of avoiding the great resignation. Be honest with yourself, right? Acknowledge there's zero, there's zero people in your life that are responsible for what takes place in your head. You are the only person responsible. And what you feed and consume is going to is going to become your reality. So if I feed and consume negativity, that will become my reality. Negativity from people at work that hate the job, negativity from watching all the amazing millionaires that exist on social media. And I'm me wishing I'm one of them. Negativity from consuming the news all the time and hearing all the negative things that goes in the world. There's so many things that we are responsible for. So as a seller, as a sales professional, as an employee, you are in control of that. And don't look for someone else to be in control of that. And when you take that control and you own that control, now you have leverage. Now you're like, holy crap, dude, I can succeed anywhere and everywhere. And I have made a joke for years. You can't fire somebody who's not afraid of losing their job. Like you can't. hundred percent. You can't fire someone who's not afraid of losing their job because they're like, you know what? F you, dude, I'll bounce back bigger. Now, there's, there is a sense of arrogance if it's done incorrectly or you have that or for you, but there's a sense of confidence that your sales leaders, your, your CEOs, your VPs of sales, your president's like, yeah, I don't want to lose this person. Like they're so valuable to the organization. And that only comes from having a positive mindset and feeding the thing. Now, for the sales leaders, and the VPs of sales, the regional director of sales, the entrepreneurs, the small business owners, the middle-sized business owners, essentially the clients that I work with that come to me and say, hey, the great resignation is impacting my sales force. My retention is struggling. Here's the deal. U.S. Labor Board, data for years, let's just say it's between 30 and 38% over the past four or five years, sales professionals turn over every year. If you hire a millennial salesperson, the chances of them interviewing with another company within the first two years of employment is 51%. So within two years, they've already interviewed with somebody else. Great resignation is just going to magnify this. This is my this is my perspective data, right? The great resignation coin got phrased earlier this year. So I don't know what the data is going to look like. We'll figure it out in 2022 and 2023. But here's here's the direction I say. Empathy is going to be the key to success for everything right now. Can I empathize with my employees on what they're experiencing right now? Can I come to them from a point of saying, okay, I understand. I have asked you, and this is true. I have asked you to perform in a situation you've never been trained for. And anybody who says you're trained for this, I'm going to say you're full of shit. Because there's nobody in the world that has been trained to deal with a global pandemic where everywhere you turn around, someone's talking about this thing. Whether it's positive, it's negative, it's, let's just say this, it's impactful. It impacts, it has changed the way we do business. I promise you, I never thought that I would be running 
sales calls and sales meetings with Zoom with my two 12-year-old daughters back here. My dog's playing in the middle of the day. I'm like, get the hell out of here. Kids, like, I have, I, this is what I do for a living. You're distracting me. Mm-hmm. We've had to learn to adapt. So sales leaders express a heightened level of empathy. As you express that level of empathy, here's what you have to do to retain these people to avoid the sales resignation. Empathy and vision. As a sales leader, as an entrepreneur, as the business owner, your ability to sell your vision and what role you'll play in this vision is going to be the key. So if, if you work for me in my organization, Amy, and I understand that the, the great resignation and COVID has impacted you and, and, and I'm continuing just to hammer you with quotas and worksheets and activity trackers and forecasting tools. You're like, okay, I get it. That's part of like my normal responsibility. Fun fact, no lie. Kids can't go to school today because somebody had a cough. They have to stay home for COVID. Don't have a babysitter. So now I have kids running around. Oh, by the way, someone that came over to dinner or I went to have coffee with tested positive for COVID. So now I can't visit customers. Oh, by the way, I still got quota to hit. I get it. I'm working on it. Have a heightened level of empathy. Understand that. But here's where here's where here's the the action step for the the, the VP of sales who's listening right now. If you're not selling your vision to your employees, a- Amy, let's say make believe Amy's my employee. If I'm not selling my vision to Amy on the impact she's going to have within this company and how her life's going to be better by being on my team, how her life's going to be better by working the direction, by having this, this heightened level of empathy and drive for success, I'm selling my vision to Amy. If I'm not selling my vision to Amy, someone else is selling it to her. And that is when the great resignation takes place. The person that's selling it to her can be a competitor or it can be a lifestyle change. It's like, All right, Amy, screw this, dude. You don't need to do this. Cut your expenses. Live in a tiny home minus expenses. You don't need the employment. Just live free off the earth. Like there's so many things I've heard people have left some amazing jobs for, for better lifestyle enhancement. And you know what? Good for them. Power for them. I look at it from the aspect. I'm like, okay, well, if I've invested this time and resource to have you in my organization, giving you a six figure salary, and you're doing all these wonderful things and I lose you. Holy crap. Where did I go wrong? And it's, I didn't sell the vision. You lost sight of your role within this vision. And me as the VP of sales, me as the, as the owner, that is my responsibility and only my responsibility. So to, to acknowledge that the great resignation is real, the change is empathize with your people and sell your vision 100%. Ah, well, I feel motivated. I was just thinking about all the people that like, I need to do better Jeff of that too. And so well said, thank you. Thank you. Okay. So pivoting us here to our last final two questions. I want to know, sir, what is the most uncomfortable conversation that you've ever had to have in a, like a revenue context? And I use the term broadly, right? So buyers, clients, um, you know, peers, bosses, hiring manager, employees, like across the board, like the one that kept you up the most at night, Anthony. <laughs> oh man. So I gotta be honest with you. I've had so many uncomfortable conversations in my life. I mean, it's just, it, it's consistent, right? So if, if I look at the uncomfortable conversations I've had in my life and, you know, as, as a manager, as an, as a, as a people manager, I've had some uncomfortable conversations with sometimes with, um, with some of my females employees that have, you know, cross the lines or boundaries at sales meetings and stuff like that. Those, those are always shitty and not fun conversations, but that's not, that's not a value to your audience. Uh, I've had uncomfortable conversations. With people who have left my business or, or have stopped using my service. That's not an uncomfortable. Oh, I tell you the uncomfortable conversation. It's working on a deal, really large deal. And it, and 
at this time, I wasn't a sales leader. I, I wasn't working for myself. I was an individual contributor for a company. And this deal, had I negotiated and closed it effectively, would have hit my quota for like the next year and a half, two years in a row, 100%. Part of my conversation, part of my, my strategy in working with this deal was I had agreed that I was going to do some analytical work and come back with a, a detailed forecasting uh, tool. But in my analytic work, I had to break down and identify that one, how my products were lining up line item for line item to their current method. And, and in doing so, I had to say, okay, here's why I would be better. So I agreed to have this project done within a timely fashion. Lo and behold, I got a divorce in the middle of this timely fashion. So now my personal life was thrown upside down. I ghosted this prospect, not, not for a terribly long time, but long enough where I, I lost credibility. Mm-hmm. Um, the only reason I got another face-to-face meeting is because I did have a, a, a valuable product. I did have a solid reputation before that. And so to sit in a, in a boardroom with the CFO, because now it had worked its way up that I hadn't provided. So I'm sitting with the CFO. My VP of sales is with me. And I just point blank had to just, hey, guys, with all honesty, I don't, I don't, I don't have an excuse. I failed to deliver where I said I delivered. I can tell you the story of my personal life, but it's not really relevant right now. And then I had to go and break down even further. Line item for line item, we weren't the cheaper provider. So not only this, I'm going to be more expensive than what you're currently using, and you wait it for me. Um, you know, that's probably one of the most uncomfortable conversations because I had to sit there and explain pretty much that their account wasn't important for me to 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 treat a priority as I was dealing with the personal issues in my life. Then I had to go and sit and do my normal job, which was to go show why they should come with my service, even though I'm more expensive than what they're currently using. Um, that's probably one of the most uncomfortable conversations I had because the CFO looked at me point blank and was like, so let me be crystal clear here. My seven figure contract is delayed because you're going through a divorce. He looked at me and was like, do you think you're the only person that's ever gone through a divorce? <laughs> I was like, yeah, dude, you're, and I just, I just like, I have, I have no excuse, man. With all honesty, I just, we can work together or you can tell me pound sand. I get it. Like I'm, I fucked up. Uh, isn't it funny how, we all love talking about and sharing our successes and our wins, but really it's those mistakes. Oh yeah. That we learn the most from. What did oh. you, what did you, what did you learn from this? Uh, one, one, I, I definitely learned, you know, time management has always been, you know, everyone has always evolved and working on time management. I took on some extra responsibilities in that process because I want to do such a phenomenal job. Uh, where I felt I needed to do those things to to win the business. Probably could have won the business without doing them, but that's one. So I took on some extra responsibilities. Yeah. So I always question myself when I say yes to taking on an extra task in a, in a, in a proposal process. Like is And I ask myself, am I doing this because I think they need this? Am I doing this because they really need this? Am I doing this because it makes me feel better? Like, why am I taking it on? I think the second thing I learned most was, at the end of the day, the ability to compartmentalize business and personal is so important. Uh, like it just, there's no, there's no shortcut to it. And I allow that boundary to get crossed the real estate in my head, cross those boundaries so hard that everything like, you know, I, I you know, I still had, I still have kids to pay for. I mean, I still had responsibilities at home, but I was like, Oh, poor me F this blah, blah, blah. And since that has happened, I have been able to compartmentalize. I, I can tell you this. I can compartmentalize the best of them. So much so that not too long after that happened, 
my father passed away unexpectedly. And I remember I, I went to my VP and I said, Hey man, I need five days. He's like five days. I'm like five days. That's all I need. And he's like, you sure you can take more time? I said, no, I said, honestly, I said being home alone and, and going through like a morning process, really not my jam. Like I just want to get out and start doing stuff again. Uh, and at the same time, I don't want to bring like my personal life into it. And so the ability to compartmentalize that learning from that mistake and compartmentalizing that helped me move forward. And it's a story I shared in, in catapult commissions, a book on how I overcame it, had my biggest income year of life. Had I not failed the year before, I don't know if I would have had that uh, like that, the, the mental strength to turn around and say, Hey, I can compartmentalize this. I need to separate the two. I need five days. Had, had I gone to that deal realizing through, I could have went to my VP and say, Hey, I need some help. I need a day or two. Like I'm going through a really rough spot. I'm sure he would have helped me out, but you know, pride ego can't do it. You know, I can do everything, Superman, all that other fake bullshit. And it, none of it worked out. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's uh well, well said, well said. And I, I can relate hard to the questioning yourself before you promise to do something extra. Mm-hmm. And like, and for me it, it, at this point, I, you're a better person than I am where you're asking yourself questions. I'm just in my head, my voice is like, shut the fuck up. And like, don't <laughs> <laughs> like my dad is a sales VP. I was raised by a seller. And like his thing was like, aim if it's like, it stops shooting, right. If the sale is, the fish is dead in the barrel, stop shooting. Yeah. But anyway, so it's good. It's good to keep that in mind. All right. So anyway, last one, last one. What is one piece of advice for our listeners about uncomfortable conversations? Ooh, here's the thing. Embrace it like 100%. Just embrace the uncomfortable conversations because only two things are going to happen from these uncomfortable conversations. You're going to grow or you're going to grow more like that's it. There's zero, there's zero negative from an uncomfortable conversation. And, and to say that you're like, oh, you, you know, and people, Amy, they hear you and I on a, on a podcast and they hear like, oh, you guys sound so confident you're doing this. No, like hundred percent. There's, there's uncomfortable conversations. I'm like, man, like I have things on my counter. I'm like, I'm not ready for this. Like, you know, and, and you look, I'm like, I don't want to do this conversation. Every uncomfortable conversation you have, the only outcome is you will grow. And if you are a true professional a true sales professional and you believe that you have to grow to succeed you believe in 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 personal development you believe in feeding your brain the right things embrace it like embrace the growth right gary v always says embrace the suck i i'm not the biggest gary v fan but i'm like ah you know what i embrace the difficult conversations because we will grow from them so that's that's my piece of advice just embrace it acknowledge you're gonna grow you know it's like it's like going to the gym for the first time after six months off it's kind of kind of suck right but you will grow from it well said i love it i love it all right anthony how can people find you yeah, hundred percent. So anthonypgarcia.com is my website. Anthonypgarcia99 is all my social media. Uh, Catapulting Commissions is the name of the book. It's available on all, all, all book platforms, sales podcasts, all the nine. Uh, but yeah, just anthonypgarcia.com. You'll find me. You'll find all the fun stuff we're doing there. Um, and that's, that's where you'll, we'll you'll can learn all about us. Amazing. Amazing. Anthony, thank you so much for making time for us today. It, um, it means a lot. And I, I know that I learned, I, I mean, literally I've got like three pages here of notes just from this conversation. So thank you for sharing. Thank you. And thank you for sharing your time as well. And to our listeners, thank you as well for hanging around through the remainder of the conversation, truth, love, and joy friends and, and happy selling. So that was Anthony Garcia on taking control of how you sell. For more kick-ass wisdom from this man who clearly gets it, be sure to check out his book, Catapulting Commissions, and his podcast by the same name. Or you can come hang out with us in the SalesCast community, which is where we met, interestingly enough. (sighs) Thanks for hanging out today with us, friends. It means the world. If you found any value in things discussed, 
by all means, let me know how we're doing in the form of, the, of a review. Feedback is my love language after all. And that wraps another installment of the Revenue Real Hotline. I'm your host, Amy Rahubchek. Happy selling. <laughs>